Well, welcome to our latest Generation podcast, and today we are out on location. Um, I crossed the Silvery Tay and gave a little thought to the great poet McGonagall. So here we are in a Dur Dreich Dundee day, <laughs> and with me is one of my uh, friends, uh, Jim Turrent, who is the pastor of uh, Central Baptist Church. Welcome, Jim. Thank you very much, David. Good to see you. Okay, just a, a little bit of history here. Uh, Jim and I go back a long time. He was previously minister at Culloden Baptist Church when I was minister just along the road at Smithton Free Church. And Jim is slightly younger than I am by one year, so it's really great to meet up with you again. Great to see you too, David. Okay, Jim, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? You're obviously not from these parts. Tell us your story. No, I'm from uh, a little fishing village in the Clyde called Glasgow mm -hmm. and uh, brought up there, uh, married to Janie with uh, one son who's 16, uh, had a career in engineering before I became a, a pastor and uh, after uh, getting my degree moved to Culloden, Inverness, to a little church plant along the road from you, as you said. But it wasn't called church planting in those days, was no, it? No, no. Uh, I don't know quite what we called it. Uh -huh. um, it was just a, kind just of a start kind of up extension or something like that. I'm not quite sure what the terminology would be, but it, it was a church plant, really. And they were looking for someone to just give it a bit of definition and leadership. And, uh, well, quite frankly, we couldn't get up the A9 quick enough. Uh -huh. It was just a fantastic thing. We were just totally up for it. And uh, we spent nine wonderful years in Inverness in Culloden. And uh, it was just great. Because I think you and I shared a lot of values together when we were up there. You know, it was mm -hmm. always great to see you turning up at our church. You had me preaching. I had you preaching. There was a really good uh, relationship. Um, one of the values which you shared and I shared when we were both up there was preaching. Um, is that still a value that you hold to? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the health of the church rises and falls on preaching. Uh, I think there are huge misunderstandings when it comes to preaching. Uh, to think that preaching is simply an exchange of information is, is completely wrong. True preaching, true exegetical preaching, uh, is an encounter with the living God by the Holy Spirit who inspired that word. And so um, as preachers, we, we know and we understand that moment when, uh, as we're preaching, there is there is a stillness in the congregation and a focus and a dynamic that involves us but is beyond us and uh, that to me as a preacher is is just wonderful you feel as though you're there but it's not really about you it's about god speaking and you can see the word connecting with people i, I find that really exciting okay there's a big section of a church that would say come on jim preaching's an authoritarian monologue We've got to be in the cafe church, we've got to go in formal, we've got to go in for chat. Yeah. The view of the audience is as important as the view of the guy behind the podium. What do you think of that? Well, it's it's not about the guy behind the podium, it's about the word that the guy behind the podium is preaching, really. And I, I think, you know, there are, there are different approaches to uh, the preaching of the word, uh, the preaching of the gospel. Um. I think sometimes uh, the context really matters. In a cafe context, um, that's useful, uh, certainly missionally. But I think in a cafe context, you're looking at other people around a table. I think in a church context, normally, 
you're looking at someone who is preaching the word. And I think that looking towards the word is is quite significant. And I, I, again, I'm just not scared to use the word authority because God's word is authority and is to be preached authoritatively. Um, so I think that the dynamic and the context are really, really important. Uh, we communicate something in the way that we do church. But authoritative doesn't mean shouting, does it? A lot of folk oh, no. conflate these two ideas. Can you unpack what you understand as authoritative preaching? Authoritative preaching to me is quite simple. It is, it, if you were to give me your opinion on whatever it might be, David, and I was to correctly communicate that opinion to someone else, then your reaction would be to affirm what I say. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, who inspired the words when we properly exegete it, we do our digging well, and then we communicate it to the very best of our abilities. I think that that draws the, uh, the pleasure of the Holy Spirit and the affirmation of the Spirit in the preaching of the words. And that's where the authority comes from. It doesn't come from style. It comes from the substance uh, that is I'm preached. really interested in that idea also of word and spirit going together. Yes. And doesn't that distinguish preaching from a mere lecture? Something happens, doesn't it? It does. Can you explain a bit what happens when preaching's at its best, when the spirit is present? Mm -hmm. Describe that to me. Um, it's a very hard thing to describe, except to say that you become aware as the preacher, and I think those who are tuned in as the congregation become aware that something is happening yeah. that is beyond, it involves the congregation, it involves the preacher, but it's something that is beyond all of us. And, and we sense, there's a sense of cohesion and truthfulness and impact that I can only attribute to the Holy Spirit. And there's a sense of what the theologians would call the numinous in the room, the yeah. otherness of God, yeah. just that which uh, you know affects your heart, yeah. uh, affects and yeah. everybody is aware that, yeah. and I use this word reverently, you know, that God is in this place. Obviously God is always in this place. He's omnipresent. But there are times where he shows up in a very particular mm -hmm. and special ways. And that's almost, I think revival is when that is multiplied. Mm -hmm. have, have you ever experienced in your ministries times when that's been special? Well, quite honestly, we're going through a time like that just now mm -hmm. where um, there is a, a response, maybe a response of about five or six people over the last few months to the ministry of the words um, being drawn to the gospel in surprising ways. Um, and that's, that is really, that's really special. But I mean, that, that follows years of, I hope, faithful ministry, but suddenly God moves. And it cannot and be manufactured. No, no, no. It's a season that God gives and it's, it's quite special mm -hmm. when that happens. Isn't patience in ministry quite significant? I mean, I was in my church for 31 years. Um, that was a really great season. I enjoyed every mm -hmm. single week of it. You strike me as, you know, nine years at Culloden, it was a, a church plant. It was starting off and, you know, you handed it all 
over and it's going really well. You strike me as being a long-term guy as well. I'm more of a marathon and a sprinter. What sustains long-term ministry? Um, well, I think when you're preaching consecutively through Scripture, uh, you're not worrying about what you're going to do next because you you know what you're going to do next. So there's a, there's a pattern there that you're following. And also, I, I often think this, David, that I, I would... There is, of course, room for itinerant preachers and itinerant ministries. But just the way that I'm wired, I would find that very unsatisfactory for me. Um, I, I really love preaching in other churches, but what I love best is preaching in Central. That's what I love. I look forward to a Sunday. I look forward to the people. I look forward to opening up the Word and seeing what God is going to do, in addition to what He did the last time. Mm -hmm. And and then over time, uh, you see uh, God making strides in people's hearts, and you see transformed lives that, again, you, you, it just brings great joy uh, to see, to remember where people were, and to see where they are now, just through the ongoing ministry of God's Word into their lives. Mm -hmm. Okay, just to move on again to some more subjects that may interest folk, may get folk thinking. You are very much a Baptist. Uh -huh. uh, you believe the only thing that should uh, go in water uh, is, a is, is, is a biscuit. Yeah, no, you 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 don't do babies, babies and and and, and biscuits are perhaps not to be conflated. I'm a Presbyterian. Okay, mm -hmm. we believe different things. Yeah. You believe different things about church government to me, mm -hmm. and yet we got on well. Mm -hmm. I like your ministry. I affirm it. Are denominations important? What are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of a denominational outlook? I think when a denomination's on point uh, and serving the purpose of the kingdom, it's good because we need definition. Uh, we need training of pastors. Uh, we need organisational help, legal help, all these things that denominations do for us. So when they are on point, that's great. When they become an end in themselves, no. Um, so I would, I would, I would look on it in a very—I wouldn't say a pragmatic way, but I, I would just be looking to see if the denomination served its purpose or or not. Um, if it does, good. If it doesn't, then let's do something else. Because at the end of the day, our purpose is the glory of God in the spreading of the gospel and uh, the building up of God's people. Would you say that there's a definitely primary and secondary issues in gospel work? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, we would be quite unusual as a Baptist church because we would be open Baptist. So I could become a member in your church? You could. You could. You couldn't become an elder, in no. it, but you, you could yeah. become a member because we would not want to um, break fellowship with people over a secondary issue. See, that's the sort of thing that I absolutely respect. Um, I think that's a good situation. And indeed, the same would be in the Free Church of Scotland. You could, you know, someone who's Baptist, charismatic, whatever, could become a member. They could not become an mm -hmm. office bearer because... You could not sign the Westminster Confession of Faith with no. a clear conscience. You could, 
I'm sure you'd be happy with 95% of it, but that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and I'd be the same with the 1689 Baptist Confession. Uh, it's just that missing 5%. And I, I respect that, and I think it's important that mm-hmm. a church knows what it is. It's mm-hmm. important that a church has its distinctives, but that these distinctives don't monopolize the conversation. No, and that's that's very important for us. One of the most significant things that we've done in Central over the years is to for the elders to get together and provide what we call position papers for people. And that's very helpful. So if you were coming to join Central, one of the things I would say to you is, well, we get to know you a bit, come along, be a worshipper for a while, but go to our website and look at our position papers on things like what do we believe the gospel is, um, what about the role of women in leadership and so forth. And all these things are there. And that's a really good thing to do. And I would commend it to other pastors as well, because what it does is it depersonalizes the thing. So you're saying to someone coming into the church, well, we have particular positions here. Go look at them. If they fit, great. If they don't, well, the Lord bless Cause you. Because they're not, you know, a complementarian position is not plucked out of thin air mm-hmm. or a position on worship or, or yeah, whatever. absolutely. But what we would also put on as an addendum to that would be if you disagree with any of those positions that would be of a secondary nature, you can still join the church, providing... You, you accept that that's the settled will of this congregation of God's people and that you don't agitate yeah. to cause difficulty or problems for yeah. us. So, um, no, I mean, we, we, are, we would be conservative evangelical towards the reform side in terms of, of ministry, but we would want to welcome God's people. I was, we had, um, we had uh, Ian Murray up for a lecture a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about the Scottish history and... uh... Well, he was talking about the relationship between George Whitfield and John Wesley. Right, okay, right, I got that. Um, And uh, that was, it was beautiful um, because the story itself and the mutual respect that these men had for each other, but also, I have to say, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but Ian Murray's own communication of it really I find quite moving. It was winsome, yeah. Because because he what he was saying was, look, you know, evangelicals differ on secondary issues, but we must love each other. Mm. We must love each other. Well that's the wisdom of an older man. You know, I love reading Ian Murray. I think uh-huh. everything he's, he's a very he's, clear writer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With a passion for mm. God, which is the uh, yeah. essence of the Reformed faith. Okay, we're missional. Okay, that's one of the buzzwords these days. It wasn't around when we were up there and fighting the Battle of Culloden. And missional is a buzzword. Tell, tell me, Jim, what are the marks of a missional church? Um, biblical, prayerful, um, outward-looking. Okay, what is outward-looking like? Unpack that. Oh, I, I think that um, we are the church gathered, we are the church scattered. So uh, one of the things that certainly pastors have to be aware of is the preparation of God's people for a Monday morning and what so that looks our like. our job is to prepare God's people Absolutely. for works of ministry, Ephesians as 4, Ephesians yeah, says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, that, that's really what I'm seeking to do. So when I'm, when I'm preaching... Um, I'm always thinking, right, okay, what does this actually mean on the ground 
boots on the ground on a Monday morning for someone who's studying at University of Dundee or is working in a dental surgery or in an office or in a factory somewhere? What does this mean for them? How can I ground them well theologically? Um, I think I think that one of the things that I suffered from uh, growing up was that the application sure. didn't always reach me. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I've, I've written a little book that's going to come out I think next this year, next year, and and it's it's for kids in transition from primary to secondary. And what I've done is I've given them a biblical timeline from creation to conclusion. But in each little section, there is a little apologetic nugget, very simple. Um, Something like, I mean, my own son came to me a couple of years ago and said, Dad, you know, there's a guy in school, he says, uh, there, there can't be a God because who made God? And so I was able to talk to him about the uncreated creator and mm-hmm. that it was the categories that he had got wrong and so forth. And that's fine. So if I, if someone had given me that kind of thing at that age, I would have, I would have felt a lot less stupid at times. And I want to sort of widen that out for the whole congregation and say, even during my preaching to say, no, this is the issue here. Let's just look at that because this scripture really speaks to that issue and just give people, um, Give people the what they need in order to respond to some of the challenges mm. that we look forward to seeing that book and, and hearing about it when it comes out. Um, you and I, we've both been to the USA. Uh, I don't know about you. I've never spoken to you about this, but there was a time in my life I went through what I call my American phase. I don't know if every minister does that. You know, there's a, just a couple of years in your life you think. Will I? Wouldn't I? You go over to the promised land. I got a couple of approaches. I was really interested. But then I thought, nah. Did you ever have that? I had, I had one approach. From Were you ch- tempted? Church in Philadelphia, no. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, really, I really wasn't. I, I love the United States. I love Americans. I love their approach to life. Tell I, me about what, I guess what you like about American church culture is maybe similar what I like about it, what, what is it? Uh, can do. Can do attitude, yep. I love that. Um, but when you talk about American culture, well, we had, when we were in Culloden, we had a connection with a church in the Midwest. And then I spent time in, in sabbatical at uh, Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington. I mean, chalk and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> American church culture is just multicolored, multifaceted. Um, but I've never, ever, I've always felt a passion for ministry in Scotland. I just want to see Scotland built up and blessed by strong preaching ministry. Um, so I, I've never, it's never really, really impacted me okay. that way. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm the same. I feel very much called to Scotland. I've got a Scottish accent. I know the Scottish culture. I am very Scottish very nationalistic, with a small n. Scotland is really important to me. Can you understand how some people really enjoy ministry in the US and just leave Scotland to go over there? Well, what can I say? If if there is a definite call of God to do that, then fair enough. I'm not going to rain in their parade. You know, if if they are sure that that's what God calls them to do, and they are yielded to His will, then fair enough. You know, and and there are some there are some 
guys like Alistair Begg, who's been a big influence in me. mightily used, who, perhaps more than he would ever have been used if absolutely. he was in Hamilton. Uh, he was mm. in Hamilton, yeah, and, and Charlotte as well. And, and um, you know, and, and he's back over here frequently. Um, and he's had a huge impact on me and on many pastors of my generation and younger as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that. You know, one of my younger colleagues, David Strains and Jackson, and I love David's preaching, and I mm -hmm. just wish... We could have more at preaching scotland but i recognize that you know he has been called to the usa but you know i'm human uh, mm -hmm. i really as i look around scotland and the need for just powerful winsome expository preaching folk who are what i call contemporary calvinists folk who want to apply um sovereignty of god worldview to what you just said a few minutes ago, the practical situations of folk working in a dental surgery or in various situations. Uh, <laughs> one of the things, that, again, I want to chat about is rivalry among churches. Now, you and I were, were very similar personalities. Mm -hmm. We're, of course, both Rangers supporters, which <laughs> is ahead of the queue. You know, we, 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 we know how to survive in the midst of defeat and rise in the crest of triumph together. <laughs> um, rivalry. In, we were both in the same parish. You're now in a city with other churches. Is rivalry a thing? I think it is. I think if we're up being honest, it yeah. is. Mm -hmm. And do you know why? It's because we're all sinners. Absolutely. And do you think, what's the best way to cope with that? Is it to have a conversation with your rival and just out it? I think it's primarily about having a conversation with yourself. Mm, good point. And reminding yourself that the blessing of God is not like the budget for the NHS. It's not limited. It's really not. And also, to give yourself the perspective of eternity, can you imagine standing before Jesus with this little petty localized rivalry? I mean, it's pathetic in the light of eternity, isn't it? Really, I, I, we just want Jesus, and we just want His word to prevail in our culture. And if some brother along the road is doing well, then that's wonderful. I came to Dundee. Central was a big old Baptist church, but it was in decline. Uh, I, before I was uh, inducted into the church in Dundee, I went along to St. Peter's, David Robertson uh, was. Who's he again? I don't know. I don't know. I've heard the name yeah, floating around he's, Dundee. He's guy who used to be in yeah, Scotland. I don't yeah, know. He's yeah. kind of moved on. Oh, okay. He's been strangely wonder, quiet. I wonder what happened to him. No, 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 no. Um, but uh, I remember, and, and it was okay, it was summertime, but there was maybe about 40 people in the church. And it was uh, an old, dusty building. And then over the last 10 years, to see that church transform into a vibrant church has been a joy to watch. Mm -hmm. It's been a joy to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you, we, we've got to keep talking the gospel to ourselves. We've got to keep that perspective of it is not about me. Mm -hmm. It is about Christ. You know, uh, Paul planted a polished water. God made it grow. I love that point. You know, it's made quite often these days. Keep applying the gospel. I confess that I was, excuse me, I was someone who often thought that the gospel was the entry into the Christian life, mm -hmm. and I think we can be far too conversionist, thinking that is the thing. 
And you just delight to see kingdom growth. And here's the weird thing. Maybe it's not so weird. That when you see two or three churches in a community that are kingdom-centered, it's like a tide and they all rise together. That's a very good way. I think, in a sense, that's what we saw in Culloden. I was just going to say that. Certainly towards the end, you know, you, me, Jim Robertson often met. And you know the tide just rose together. Yeah, absolutely. and it was a blessed experience. But but there was something in that. I always felt that there was something in that in the openness that we had together. You know, I clearly remember one day when you phoned me up and you said, "Look, um, there's a family on their way to you." And once we had kind of looked at they they had looked at us and thought we were credible as a Baptist church, but they they had been Baptist. And you phoned me up and you said they're on their way. To come with our blessing, mm. and, and I, I really remember that, David, as as a, a mark of your own generous spirit and of the relationship between the churches as well, because there was cross traffic. There were people mm-hmm. moved sure. from you know Colin Baptist to Smithton as well, mm-hmm. um, and and also for the health of the church too, because uh, you know church hoppers can sometimes get away with it if pastors don't talk to each other. I don't think folk realise that pastors often do have conversations with yeah, one another, and absolutely. you know folk don't yeah. move about without any you know passport as it as it were. <laughs> Uh, is, I mean, this is such a diverse conversation, but that's one of the great things about podcasts. You never know where it'll end up. Um, I was online listening to some of your sermons recently. Last one you did in Micah, it was tremendous. Um, started with a really, really corny joke, which, you know, you acknowledged. It was so, so, such a good sermon. Let's talk about the Christmas season. One of the points that you made in the sermon or before the sermon was that so much of the Christmas stuff, services flipping, dumbed down, light. You certainly didn't go light. Um, Is Christmas a good opportunity for local churches in mission and evangelism? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's it's something that I've got a thing about, I think. We, uh, as evangelicals, sometimes dumb down Christmas and we dumb down Easter, especially. So uh, around Christmas time, what we do is we we cut off from our usual series, which we're we're doing Luke's Gospel on Sunday mornings, um, and we do what we call Deep Christmas. So this year we took passages from Genesis 49 about Judah and uh, Isaiah 9 and Micah 7. Um, and we just really delved into it, and and I find I found that I am thrilled when I see Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm just absolutely thrilled when I see him there, and it, it really is a big faith building thing when other people begin to see Jesus in the Old Testament too. Right. Um, and so we try to do um, that's a bit of a sidebar, but we try to try to do a deep Christmas because I love that the, title, deep Christmas. The, the, the most incredible miracle of all is the incarnation. Mm. God becoming flesh in Christ, um, and we want to to deepen people's understanding. And but that's not to be Ebenezer Scrooge, but sure. humbug. You know, we do this Sunday. We're doing the kids' nativity thing on Sunday morning, and we're doing a carol service where there'll be more of an epilogue. Yeah, but we've already done the heavy lifting, 
in the weeks up so that God's people are prepared to okay. engage with okay. the truth. Here's a, here's a confession. I, I, when I was at Smith, and I often did these family services, and, you know, they went, they went down well. People liked them. I was, you know, it was pretty light. I communicated. But here's the confession. I really didn't enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, did the kids get them? Did the adults get them? So I do it. Um, (laughs) Some would even say I'm not bad at them. Some would say I'm terrible at them. But I did them. But in ministries, it's not about me. Mm. You know, sometimes I do things outside my comfort zone. Yeah. Do you ever do stuff outside your comfort zone? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) You love outside your comfort zone. I think sometimes in in church, you've got to remember that there are different um, stratas of people there. Yeah. And good people point. at different stages as well, and uh, and sometimes, um, yeah, they, they, they'll come and you feel that you've you've not maybe hit the mark in some sort of epilogue that you've given, but some something's landed with someone, and it's usually a different person to the person who would normally say that they've been challenged. So a little bit, a little bit of good godly pragmatism in there, I think, is okay as part of the mixed diet of church life. Mm-hmm. Talking as well, we both started life as you know, we were both church planters, um, solo pastors. And as we moved on, we moved into a teamwork. Um, you built up a team at Central, I'd built up a team at Smithton, working with, you know, guys and girls and various elements of ministry. I I would find it really Difficult, I'm not saying impossible, but difficult to go back to a solo pastor situation. Mm. You know, clearly at Smithton we had the resources to work as a team. Are, are, you, are you the same? Do you enjoy teamwork? I do. I do. Um, well, you can't really say you don't. Can you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, we've just, uh, the team at Central uh, has just formed over uh, the last two years. Uh, and it's a fresh start for for us all, um, and it's just immensely helpful. Um, and again, uh, from my own experience, I would say that you you, you have to um, you have to to give people the opportunity to flourish in the ministries that God has called them to, and that sometimes means a stepping back. A deliberate stepping back from areas, uh, and always hire someone better than you. And that, in my case, that is not difficult. I can assure <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, someone yeah. who's really maybe yeah. our, our first hire was uh, an admin person, someone to run the church, which mm-hmm. was a bit counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Most folk go for youth people, which is invariably the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but we even went for an admin person, someone to run run the church. Mm-hmm. You know, far better admin than I was. So mm-hmm. you know, a, 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 someone to work with families. Mm-hmm. Um, have you got a hiring policy or not so much written policy, but just a, no, a philosophy? We, we've just got a very, we got we went for the best, mm. the best we could get, and um, we have we have a very very talented team there, and. Uh, and yes, sometimes I, you know I look at them and I, I'm a little bit threatened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I've got to talk to myself. 
Mm-hmm. You probably think I'm talking to myself all the it's time. It's great hearing all these insecurities. I'm encouraged. <laughs> I thought you were perfect. Right, that's right. You're just as screwed up as I am. <laughs> well, we're all the same under the skin, aren't we? And uh, you just keep having to, to say to yourself, uh, you know, God's got to be glorified here. And... And, you know, if, if they are doing really well, mm. if the church is flourishing, um, hey, that's great. And we're learning from the team. We're learning from each other. Absolutely. We're enjoying each other's company. But um, key is relationship in it. If you get someone who's trying to sort of just plow their own furrow, um, that becomes a difficulty. And we haven't had that. But um, I would imagine in a team dynamic, if you have someone who hasn't got that kind of... Uh, communal aspect, then it might be tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the responsibility for lead pastors, like we, what you were and I am, is is to just be the kind of catalyst for bringing together, for the sharing of information and of vision and of setting the tone um, as well. So our own personal soul care really matters because how we respond to things can be very, very influential in the church. And that's quite a, a weight to, to bear. Yeah. <clears throat> These uh, generation podcasts, it's a little bit like being at a party and going around with canopies. There's, you know, not one big meal, but lots of different little bites. And we've experienced about six or seven of these little bites and the topics of conversation that we've had. Um, another little canopy I, I want to... In Glasgow, we'd call it a canopy. It's a bit different, you know. <laughs> so another canopy I want to talk about is buildings, because I know that when you were at Culloden, it was a bit of a running sore. You you met in the school, mm-hmm. and you you I think maybe you'd wanted to start your building project, but it just didn't happen when you were there. Uh, they've subsequently built a great facility. At Central, you've got a refurbished and extended building that's really super. At Smithton, we've got a wonderful uh, facility. St. Pete's, you know, churches really have good facilities. I'm seeing that in places like Kamali and Dingwall in our own situation. Really nice buildings. Burghead as well. You know, buildings, Jim, are they important? Hmm. They're not of critical importance, but they are very, very helpful. You right. can do a lot of things in buildings. If you were still in the central building of 40 years ago, would you be the same church as you are now? No, no, no. Because it, it changes culture, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, we had, I, I was, I'm, I'll always be grateful to God that I turned up at Central to be as they were concluding their building projects. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to supervise a building project. Um but I think I think they are helpful. There was one interesting thing when we were we were planting the church in Lockheed, and um, when the the twenty schemes team came up, um, I I just gave the, the kind of stock response at that point and said, well, we do actually have the building that was Lockheed Baptist Church there. You know, I guess if I was starting, I would hire a school and I would, and their response was, well, why? Because people in that kind of working class environment. Mm-hmm look upon that place as a holy place, as a safe place. Right. So they saw that, what I saw as a disadvantage, they saw as an advantage. Um, but I, I think for us, we, we just couldn't do what we do mm-hmm. had we not the facilities that we, we have. I mean, we're not Gnostics. We are not disembodied spirits. The material 
is important and a nice environment is not to be sniffed at. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there is. And there's, there's something about the place as well where you go to worship God. It becomes... Um, In a the, sense, a holy place? I think so. I mean, there are places that you, you go where you remember when you were courting your wife or something like that, don't you? And uh, there are places that, that you go where you remember God speaking to you, and that becomes a, a hallowed, hallowed, hallowed place, you know, a kind of Bethel. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so I, 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 I'm not too... Obviously, that can go too far. Um, I try to avoid... Uh, people putting up plaques and things. I've told them quite clearly that when I go, I'm not looking for a plaque up in the wall, just a small statue down in City Square will do me. That's right, yeah, absolutely. Like Desperate Dan. Oh, right next to Desperate Dan would be perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't want a photo of you up in the <laughs> vestry. You go in the vestry and you see oh, photos of the old ministers. I know. I know. No, 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 I'm not looking for that at all. Yeah, yeah. The current Memorial Baptist Church <laughs> has got a certain ring about yeah. it that would appeal to some folk. Uh, I don't think it would appeal to that many, to be honest. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You mentioned Lockheed. Um, mm-hmm. Again, Lockheed, for our listeners, is a scheme, I suppose, in the edge of Dundee or an area of Dundee. It's an mm-hmm. old area. It's not really a new scheme. Uh, which Central uh, took on board and they've now released it to be a church plant in partnership with 20 schemes. Um, a lot of our churches, a lot of our thriving churches are into planting. Do you find it difficult to lose maybe 10 of your good people to a plant? Is there a wee bit of pain or do you think it's worth the effort? Is the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, yes, it is. It is, uh, and and what I didn't reckon on at the time, um, because we planted up the coast in Carnoustie first, which was a conventional plant, and then the Lockheed one was well. I just hadn't a clue what I was doing there. So yeah. the help of twenty schemes was a wonderful. Thing. And it's good to realise that some things are out your gifts, oh, yeah. out your competencies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the thing about the building that I was talking about earlier, I mean, it was at that point that I thought, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think it, uh, in terms of people, um, the 20 Schemes team came in and they actually spent two years with us before they planted. And during that time, uh, we began to discern who might be good for the planting team. And uh, that caused a wee bit of pain. If I, if I do confess, sometimes I was kind of watching who Andy was talking to in a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. But we had committed ourselves to that, and so be it, you know. And God is no man's debtor; He really isn't. And no pastor likes losing people. I mean, that's mm-hmm. to be quite honest. But to lose folk for a greater kingdom goal yeah. mm-hmm. is entirely honourable. Yeah. Yeah. What I hadn't reckoned on was the impact that it would have on Central Baptist. Positive or negative? Both. Okay. Can you unpack that? Mo- mainly bit? positive. Um, because although some people had bought into the vision, uh, they had not bought into it at depth. And so when things began to change in Lockheed, um, there were people there who had different ideas about how things should be done. But we had agreed that 
everything in Loki was going to be church shaped. That's the term that we used. Okay. So that that had a consequent effect on on the church. Um, that led us into a time of, of I would say turbulence. Um, that took us a long time to get over. Is it now a completely separate entity to Central? It is a separate entity. You don't subsidise it oh, no, financially? We, do sub we, we, are, we heavily subsidise okay. it. They, they've got a long way to go that in there. Mm -hmm. And, our, and our, our commitment to them is 15 years. Wow, that's a long commitment. Yeah. Um, but a reducing subsidy over that year, or you've not thought that? Well, there's two elements to it. There's personal support and there's the, the building support. We support the building as well. And we would hope that over the years the building support reduce. But we, we look on the personal support as being mission support. And we also recognise the particular circumstances in that urban area are very, very tricky. So uh, we would see that as a long-term commitment. And I really have to commend the Church at Central for just keeping going and and blessing that work. It's long-term, slow-burn work, mm -hmm. but it's areas like that and where Andy is in Charleston as well that the church has retreated from. Yeah, absolutely. But ministry is long-term, slow-burn. And if I was to say something to younger guys, it would be, listen, it takes time, culture Change takes mm. time. Mm -hmm. uh, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Kingdom time, God can do it quickly. You know, like the streams of the Negev can fill up very quickly, mm -hmm. as the psalmist says. But also, you know, other things take a long time. What are you, what are you preaching on just now? You're doing Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes in the evenings, uh -huh. uh, which is... It's very, very rich. Mm -hmm. We were talking earlier, and you were talking about getting the key. That's that is yeah. key. <laughs> mm -hmm. Once you've got that, then suddenly Ecclesiastes becomes a different book. And uh, we're doing Luke's Gospel in the morning. Just love, you know, the the mm -hmm. parables of Jesus. We've gone through Luke fifteen, sixteen mm -hmm. recently, and it's just just fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, the the, the prodigal sons, mm -hmm. as we call them. I just yeah. I just love preaching that. It's that mm -hmm. father heart of God reaching out. Yeah. yeah, it's just, and immense. perhaps the elder brother was more lost than the younger indeed, brother. Indeed, lost in legalism and mm. pride and ego. Yeah, Jim, it has been great talking to you again, renewing our friendship, having that chat. I could talk to you for hours, <laughs> but our podcast audience have been trained to take forty minutes, and that's what we aim to do. So I hope it's made you hungry to chat again. Um, Absolutely. We will talk again because, you know, just to talk to an, an ordinary pastor about ordinary church things is so refreshing. So thank you for having me in Dundee, which I confess is not doer. <laughs> it is dreech, but that's okay. And it's great to be here. My pleasure.